Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst, and by my Hi, colleague Joe. Adam Stones. Hello, Nick. And by my colleague Adam Stones, a data scientist here at Company Watch. Hello, Adam. Hello, Joe. Um, we're recording today's episode in the afternoon of Wednesday, the 11th of August. And our agenda for today is quite um, compact, but I think we've got quite a lot of, of detail um, in there that, that, that's really worth exploring in a bit more detail. So the Bank of England um, released their MPC report um, last week. I don't think there's anything that was wildly surprising in that, but there's certainly some, some snippets in there that we want to dwell on and, um, and pick up on some of the implications. Um, the GDP release of Q2 figures comes out tomorrow, but I think we think there's enough in the MPC report to have a decent stab at what those are likely to say. We're starting, um, Nick in particular is, is kind of very much um, in tune to this, to see some impacts on balance sheets of the pandemic period. And I think we'd like to, to talk a little bit about what that might mean for those of you, as I think most of our listeners are managing risk in future and what, what to look out for. Um, and then that leads into um, to something that Adam has been working on and has, has kind of championed um, a new data set that we are going to re- be launching at Company Watch in the next week or so, um, looking at some of the state aid um, information that we've been able to find. So let's start, shall we, with the Bank of England um, reports. And and the headline there, I guess, really was the inflation, um, the inflation piece, which I think the Bank of England have been putting their head resolutely in the sand and have finally acknowledged that um, the inflation is going to be well above their 2% target this year, Nick. Yes, um, I'm going to start with... um, something from The Guardian on this, because The Guardian um, can be a pretty sassy um, source of comment, as, as we well know, <laughs> coming at life from a, from a, from a particular wing of, uh, of the opinion spectrum. But I was somewhat taken, uh, taken aback when they led their article on the MPC report with the following quote, inflation to hit 4% this year as Britain's robust recovery from the pandemic accelerates at blistering pace. And I thought, goodness, somebody's had a beer or two or whatever. But um, nonetheless, um, yes, the Bank of England has finally admitted that its forecast of 2.5% for the peak of inflation uh, is no longer credible. I don't think anybody else has thought it's been credible for Several months. Time. Now. Mm. I mean, so they're now saying actually, four. Sorry, I was just going to say, is it is it actually not the case that inflation is already at the levels that that means they have to acknowledge it? You know, it's not so much a acknowledging that it will increase, acknowledging that it has increased. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think I think that I think that's right. I mean, bearing in mind at two and a half percent, it's above their target rate, mm. so they're obliged by their mandate to talk about it, and finally they are. Um, they're still resolutely saying this is only temporary and trotting out all sorts of explanations about why um, supply chain bottlenecks will suddenly mysteriously disappear by the end, by the end of 2021. But they're saying that, uh, uh, and again, as, um, uh, as we noted when we were talking before we started recording, um, unsurprisingly, um, they're saying that by 2022, it will be back inside their 2% um, uh, target rate, I think 1.9%. So 
they're acknowledging 4%. And what they have said, which is new, is that they've finally acknowledged that there is a chance that interest rates will increase. Uh, likely sometime in the next 12 months, commentators are saying sort of summer, maybe spring 2022. And um, they're also saying uh, another figure that uh, I find rather odd, um, which is that they think unemployment has peaked. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because they're they're saying this and then also acknowledging, you know, we we all know that the furlough scheme has done an amazing job in keeping jobs that otherwise would have been lost quite quickly, I think, last year. Um, And although the number of jobs um, that are are being protected under the furlough scheme has fallen, it's still, I think, 1.9 million, um, they say, at the end of of June. And that's about 8% of private sector jobs. So that we're still not sure, you know, that could be a a large number of jobs that that may be lost um, when the furlough scheme finally winds down um, at the end of September. And I I think I'm right in saying, aren't I, that at the end of June, it was a more generous scheme and the the scheme has been getting less generous in, in July and August. But if you think about it, there's a statistical reason why they might be right, but why it isn't necessarily a good thing. Because if it is true, if it's ever proved that 1.3 million people have left the UK workforce and gone home, Mm. then, of course, unemployment may not get to the levels uh, seen before, even with the the, um, furlough scheme ending, because... You're, you're calculating, uh, you know, unemployment against a smaller yeah. working population. So it may well be uh, true. Um, they also commented that wage rises were currently 3.5% and were likely to remain strong, which given all the labour shortages all over the economy is stating the absolutely blindingly obvious. Um, but they then go on to say, and you have to dig a bit in the report to find this, that they expect the most significant factor in their decision-making over the next 12 to 18 months on monetary policy will be labour market conditions and particularly labour rates and mm. how they're moving. So there's a there's a hint there that they view uh, wage rises as the key figure in inflation going forward, but particularly in whether or not it will turn out to be t- temporary. Yeah. Or longer term. Um, so, you know more about this than me, sorry, but will it, will it not be the case that um, that at some point that market forces could 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 force the bank to act and yes. not not necessarily stick to those those principles that they've set out? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the the thing with interest rate setting is that there does come a point, as um, Norman Lamont found um, <laughs> so many. So many years ago, where you can you can put the rate wherever you like it, like uh, to put it, but ultimately the market will say, uh-uh, and will and will force your hand. I mean that that's from a very different time under the most extraordinary circumstances. But yes, I mean there's a risk that the markets will take a view that the banks' um, uh, policy and and management uh, is not credible, and will begin to move rates against against the bank. What would be the consequences? Because we've got no ERM to leave this time no. without, without in a, a monetary union. No, so so that's the MPC um, 
report. Um, I suppose the other thing I, I just pick up very quickly is the GDP um, oh, yes. figures. So there, the the bank is saying that um, Q2 2021 GDP is expected to have risen by about five percent, um, and that leaves it around four percent below its pre-pandemic um, level. Um, but then in Q3. Um, the growth is meant to be a bit weaker than they'd anticipated in May, and I think you you think that they they refrained yeah, well they, from using the <laughs> yeah they put they put it down to yeah. pandemic developments. I think they really wanted to say pandemic, but didn't dare. Yeah, quite. But it's interesting. I mean, I, the other thing though, you know, so this is you know we're only going to get back to pre-pandemic level um, according to the bank Q4 2021, which as you as you kind of pointed out at the beginning, is hardly a kind of blistering um, yeah, recovery. Robust recovery. Um, but they but they they acknowledged that the US um GDP, which was had a weaker increase um than it was expected in Q2 um 2021, 1.6%, but that's been sufficient to raise the US GDP back to a pre pre-COVID peak. So you can just see how and you know, we we've talked about this before, the, the way GDP is measured, but you think that there's a kind of internal consistency within the um the countries. So even if you know you have a, a steeper fall in the UK because of the way we measure, yeah. you would expect the the rise to be corresponding. So I think that does show you um quite starkly the the how impacted um the UK has been. So uh, Nick, should we should we move on to your um yes. the thing that is yeah. causing you to be a bit awake at night I think. Yeah it 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 is something that is beginning to um cause me nightmares. Um for my sins um with another hat on, I look regularly at um, the latest accounts being filed by companies in one particular sector, but has caused me to look in one or two other sectors as well. And if virtually every company I'm looking at now, and these are companies that are falling into the warning area mm-hmm. at Company Watch, and every, almost everyone I'm looking at has taken on significant debt under the various loan schemes. I mean, you know, one relatively modest company appeared to have added £2 million worth of debt, um, whilst burning their way through £6 million worth of cash in the course of a year. And so what you're seeing here is the first clear indications of what the government support schemes of one sort or another are doing to the financial profile of the companies that are our listeners' risks. And what you're seeing is distortion of the PL account because the government support is being taken out of the main part of the PL account and shown as other operating income. Now, there is an argument that's right, um, but in some situations it distorts margins. Mm. And you can't tell whether that support should have been um, against overheads or against direct costs. So you're getting all sorts of Fluidity. Like ratios are ratios going all over the place. Um, balance sheets, suddenly there's debt. There's debt, there's debt, there's debt. Companies that didn't borrow before or borrowed only modestly, and it's something we've been saying for a long, <clears throat> a long time. And uh, what concerns me is when I look at these companies' accounts, there is no going concern qualification, but uh, uh, there are director's reports showing sort of, yes, we've had a rough old year, of course, but it hasn't everybody because of COVID. And the government's been wonderful. But we're ending this year in a strong position to go forward. And we're confident about the future. Well, 
Mandy Rice Davis is what I say. Yeah. That. They would say, <laughs> would say that, that wouldn't, wouldn't they? <laughs> wouldn't they? Because the alternative, if they're not happy, then they're going to have to talk to the auditors about a going concern qualification. And and so I think what I'm saying here is that we're going into, we're probably into now, what I consider to be the most dangerous part of the entire pandemic process. There'll be another one in two years' time as companies start to grow. But let's come back to now. What we've got now is companies beginning to publish data, which will influence what um, credit decision makers um, are uh, will do for them, will uh, influence their business investment decisions. And the it's a time when you need to be on top of your risk. I know we keep saying that to people, and it's the ethos of Company Watch, but you really do. And if you've got um, really fundamentally uh, crucial uh, elements of your supply chain or your customer base, you need to be seeing the latest figures they're publishing as soon as they hit the streets. You really, really yeah. do, because you know waiting uh, until because other people who are taking credit decisions and trading decisions are, you know, they see them before you. You don't want to be last in the queue. Yeah. The last and if you can't, I mean, and we've always said this as well, you know, there's, if you have a relationship, which means that you can get hold of preliminary accounts before accounts are published at, at Companies House. And, and typically that happens in smaller businesses where accounts are maybe filed at Companies House right up at the, at the deadline. Yeah but they've been prepared and they're available. And if, if, if you are a kind of critical supplier or customer, um, being able to ask those questions and then running those, those numbers through, um, through our, our, our scoring system, just to give you a sense of, of the direction of travel, I think is, is, yeah. is now is the time to be, um, to be doing that. Yeah. Now the, cause the other thing we've, we've, I mean, should we talk about business closure? Yeah, let's 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 look at that because that, those are some really interesting. I, you, the kind of caveat of caution here is these are experimental stats that ONS is um, producing. Is that right? They're, they're kind of yes, that's a, right. kind of fed in new data sets. Yeah, yes, it is. And what they're doing is they're taking data from all over government, but I think predominantly from the treasury from the treasury and HMRC, mm-hmm. and they're identifying companies that have previously had turnover. Mm-hmm. i.e. economic activity, have previously had employees, but now don't. And not only don't, but haven't had for a, a for a period of time. So it's not a blip quarter or for VAT um, or the impact of the furlough scheme um, with staff being laid off. Mm-hmm. It's none of that. These are companies that the ONS is saying it looks like they're no longer trading. Now, here's the fun. Q2 2021 there were 105,000 business closures. That's 43% up on Q2 last year. Wow. Um, and, and, and even with the base effect, and we have we don't really know how because we, we expect actually there would have been some some closures in this measure of of um, of looking at it in that in that period. Yeah, and if you and if you go back a, a year earlier to Q2 2019, um, they're up 11%. Um, mm. Now, what is interesting, I went I went away and and played with the ONS's spreadsheet, which gloriously you can do. You can download it and play with it, um, and looked at the sector breakdowns. Now. Adam made an extremely good point when we talked about this earlier. When you talk to people about which of the sectors that are the, been the have been the worst affected in the pandemic, and you get 
hospitality. You get um, retail to an extent. You get arts and entertainment, this sort of stuff. Tourism. Tourism, yeah. Tourism. Tourism. Yeah. Hey, tourism, yes. And here we go. The worst hit sector for the rise in business closures is transport and logistics. The closures are up 91%. Wow. And again, in case you think that's exceptional, they were up 91% about versus Q2 in 2019. Mm. Now, this is labor shortages, you know, HGV driver shortages, this is Brexit border issues, this is all those things. Um, but it's shocking that such a key sector should be seeing that. The next worst hit sector is production, so manufacturing, 68% right. rise. Property, 66%, could just be estate agents closing down. Mm -hmm. um, agriculture and fisheries, up 60%. Construction, up 54%. And those we'd expect maybe Brexit impacts in those particular sectors. You yeah. wouldn't be a, a surprise. Yeah. So, so go on. I, I, you know, I was, was going to ask, uh, yeah, sorry, I was going to ask, do we have any sense of whether this is the small businesses that are closing, the large, the big players that are closing? Is there any consolidation going on here where big, you know, whales are just taking the market away from well, smaller I'm, companies? Or? I'm glad you asked because the answer is yes, we do have an idea. Um, the average size of the companies that are closing they measure by the number of employees that they had previously, and it's 2.1 employees. Mm. So it's small businesses. It's mm. it's what we know is going on um, at the bottom end of the you know, and 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 the you know the the engine of the UK economy yeah. is is where the there wasn't the fat, there weren't the reserves, there wasn't the flexibility to 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 deal with the impact of the pandemic, and they're closing now. What is? Uh, I also came away thinking, hang on a minute, that's a very big number, one hundred and five thousand in a quarter, business closures. And you know, let's, as you as you say, Joe, let's admit it; these are experimental figures, and we don't quite know what they mean. But nonetheless, they must mean something. One hundred and five thousand uh, alleged business closures. The number of formal insolvencies in the same quarter is six thousand. So the implication is that only. Five, six percent, maybe, of business failures are going through the formal procedures, and that has big implications, doesn't it, in terms of loans? And you know, we've talked about that yep. um, that before that 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 sense that companies are, are just closing down, but potentially with the um, with the liabilities yep. Um, yep. Un, unpaid. So, so, I think we'll keep an eye on those stats because. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that progresses as we get to Q3. And that's and a quarterly, that's a quarterly release, is it? These quarterly these release. Mm, quarterly interesting. Release. Well, yeah, thank you, um, Nick. I, as I say, it's, we, we're not quite sure what the story is there yet, but, but clearly there is something that um, that's worth worth knowing about. So I kind of coming back to the um this this whole question of of businesses and loans and you know recovery on the one hand, but actually that scarring impact um, on the other. And I think this is something that Nick and I have talked quite a lot about on the on the podcast about the frustration that there isn't really very much visibility on the detail of companies that have taken um, bounce back loans and other C bills, seal bills loans. Um, we've kind of pestered British Business Bank, and I know that that several other um, industry organisations have been lobbying to try and get some visibility on. On exactly which companies have taken taken loans out, 
we've managed to find and Adam I'm giving you all the credit here because you have really led this this project for us well I mean you you found found the data well I found an article I can read I can read an article but you you really took it up and um and 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 brought this into something that we think will be really useful for um for users of our data so we've managed to find on the EU website information about um loans that need to be declared because they're considered state aid in in some way because of the guarantee um and so adam i wonder whether you could just explain a little bit about what the data what the data is that we've um that we've found absolutely and, and just to give some context i mean this is all about addressing what the point that nick was making before the idea that you know company accounts often come out very late up to nine months after the after the year and in recent times it's even been up even, to 12 yeah. months you know and and so we're just trying as, as part of our strategy as a company is to try and get shorter um more current data shorter term more current data and we've done that already with the furlough and we're doing that now with these loans so in terms of the data this is where um where uh, the department for business energy and industrial strategy or, or bays has to has to declare certain loan guarantees on its on its main COVID loan schemes to the European Commission because until the end of December 2020, the UK was still in the so for the first nine or 10 months of the pandemic, the UK was still in the in the EU um transition 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 period. period that's yeah right. transition period is the term that's usually used. So so during that time any any state aid support over a hundred thousand euros or in certain sectors like agriculture and fishing over ten thousand euros had to be declared to the to the European Union if it fell under certain schemes and the schemes themselves had to be approved by the European Union and, and that inc- that includes the C bills and also the CL bills, the bounce back loans, all of those schemes had to be approved. Um, but of course, the bounce back loans tend to be quite small, so they usually fall underneath those the underneath those uh, the requirements. requirements. Yeah. So, so actually, we're really focusing on the C bills and a few CL bills as well that we found. And and you know you have to they've had to upload to those the website and we've downloaded them and we're in a position to to start putting them onto our platform hopefully this within is, the next week or so. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, as you as you said that that point about um, the accounts when we're actually going to see these coming through in in published accounts potentially is quite quite some time in the um, in the future. So it's just being able to give a little bit of a head start to understand which companies have taken these loans. And as we said before, you know the loans. Um, that were made under these schemes were actually quite different from normal commercial loans in in some regards. Although for the C bills and the SIL bills, there was a commercial underwriting process, which is not what happened for the bounce back loans. Even so, the the interest rates and so on were much more favourable than you would expect to um, to getting normal commercial lending. And obviously, the the um, the repayment terms are um, are much softer, perhaps than, than than we would expect. So. We've got we've got some of this data. We know it's not a complete set, which is one of the one of the main the limitations, which is hugely frustrating. And I know you know you've been trying to work with work with contacts and bays to 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 get more information about the um the detail because it's you know anybody who wants to go and look on the European Commission website and, and start looking at the data will soon see that it's um a minefield of um of jargon and and some nice I think you're there's quite all sorts of other <laughs> There's, yeah, there's all sorts of other state aid as well. You know, so you've got grants from the Scottish government, grants from local authorities, grants from central government, other things pre-pandemic. You know, so it's a real sort of 
treasure trove of uh, of data that you have to sort of sift through to to try and get hold on on kind of hold on something um, that you you can identify. Um, and there's other limitations as well. So we've already mentioned a few that the the minimum you know you have to have it has to be over a hundred thousand euros or or ten thousand very in certain sectors. Um, and of course, only things before the end of December will be will be included uh, because after that we left the EU transition period. But of course, um, the the UK doesn't want to be outdone, so they've set up their own uh, they've set up their own website to, uh, to 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 show subsidy data. But there's there's barely anything on that at the moment. So we're sort of watching that space to see if they they release anything after that. The other. The other limitation is that um, it only shows loans that have actually been drawn down. So if a facility has been approved, but the, but the company's never used it, then you might not say that that's a limitation. But anyway, it's not. It, it, it doesn't. It's worth knowing, that. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, loans that have been repaid uh, will be on there. And and as mm-hmm. I say, we've focused on the C bills and the CL bills, and um, you know, just taking the C bills for instance. We can see that around 20 billion uh, of loans were approved until December, and we've got about well 8.5 billion or something. So we are we are missing some, and it maybe for those factors, maybe for for other reasons that aren't quite clear yet, or or maybe they're planning to put them on in the in the near future. But of course, right. if they do put them on, then we'll be in a position now to 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 do that. We we will monitor we will monitor those data releases going forward. And the other thing I think that it's worth um, mentioning, and this is something we we did for the furlough data, was trying to bring some transparency over the the group um, structure because often you find a, a loan has been given to one company. It's quite difficult when you when you're looking into these these large organisations with lots of connected companies, understanding how the group as a whole um, has has taken these loans and has got the liabilities. And Nick, I mean, you're 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 nodding your head vigorously. I guess that's one of your the bane of your life as an insolvency practitioner, trying to unpick you know how gr- group kind of cross guarantee and how that all fits yep. together. So that's one of the one of the really key um, key parts of this, I think. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think this this will be extraordinarily powerful. And and although Adam is um, is 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 exhibiting all the frustration of, a, of a, data, a data scientist with an incomplete set of data, the fact remains that it, you know it ain't available any anywhere else. And frankly, if you can do anything to help uh, risk managers to understand, because you know as we as we've said amongst ourselves previously. Uh, you know, if only the British Business Bank would be more open about this. In quite a lot of cases, the fact that a company has taken a bounce-back loan or um, a C-bill uh, facility um, could be very good news. Yeah. It could, because of the nature of the terms, of the, the flexibility about repayment terms, pay-as-you-grow for some of the smaller bounce-back loans, um, the answer is it, it could radically improve the credit profile of some businesses, and people, and you need to know exactly. And, and I think you know, getting the data that we'll 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 get without this information from the British Business Bank, it will just we will just see a load of debt um, on the balance sheet, and our models will will kind of treat that accordingly. But having that having that kind of other piece of the picture to understand that um, that it's not like normal um, debt in the sense of commercial terms, repayable demand, all those other things that, that you would expect, um, I think is, not- is a real shame. That's not always obvious, actually, when you look at accounts. So sometimes, and I have looked at a fair, fair few accounts to try to get a sense of this. And, and sometimes you do see there in the accounts in black and white, C bills or CL bills loan, 
Uh, other times, you know, that's just lumped into lumped in with the creditors. So you don't necessarily know that this is one of the, one of the the government backed loan schemes. So my hope is that the clients find this useful and. and when we release it, and I hope that um, that they can get in touch and give us some feedback. It'd be, it's always really well received, um, and the hope is that that you know might motivate the British Business Bank and, and the government to 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 release more more information, particularly along along with the uh, bounce back loans as well. That would be really useful. There's many more of those, and of course they're affecting you know more granular, smaller companies in the economy. And I just also wanted to pick up on that uh, point that you made, Joe, about the the group structure um, because there's a slight difference here we, we did we did something similar for the furlough scheme where sometimes we would find that one one company would would claim the furlough on behalf of the whole on behalf of the whole group or other companies in the group and you know actually quite interestingly I suspect in this case it's more likely to be holding companies intermediate companies and so on that, that actually take the loans out it's, it could be different companies from where where you're seeing uh, different companies in the group getting these loans compared with those that are claiming furlough, and so having uh, having the connection so you can see all the or rather all the C bills that we have from the from the group could be really useful to to get a picture of the risk. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I, I feel like we are, as ever, running out of, of time. I'm sure we could talk about this for, for a lot longer. And, and, and indeed, we've, we've been talking about it for most of the afternoon. Um, so thanks very, very much, um, as ever, to, to Nick. Adam, thank you very much for, for joining and for all, your, all the work that you and, okay. the, um, and the rest of the team have, have done on this. We are going to be taking a, um, a break over the next few weeks in the, um, the summer. We should be back in early September. Um, Adam has actually been quite a popular addition to our um, shows. So we are going to try and get a few more um, guests onto um, onto our recordings. Um, I've got a few few people lined up who have said that they are interested in participating. But if any of our other listeners feel they'd like to come on and share some some thoughts about where they think um, you know the, this pandemic fallout is, is going to take us, then um, it'd be great to great to hear from you, and you'd be very welcome to to join Nick and me in future episodes. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks again, Nick and Adam. Until next time, goodbye.